Welcome to the Ether. Today is Monday, November 7th, 2022. Today on the Ether, part one of a two part Chepe space, one chain to rule them all, and also a Gridbot masterclass. Let's take a listen. They're, they're mirror images now. Have you seen the chart of BNB versus uh, FTT? It's like. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect possibility, right? Yeah, it's just a. It's like uh, one of those things where you fold a piece of paper in half. And you draw like half a Christmas tree and then you open it up. It's like, it's like the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Mirror image. Perfect. Yeah. Hey, Ray, what's up? Hey, Sefi, what's up? Um, just curious, what do you think about the, I know this is not completely related, but what do you think about the fold card? The Wait, which card? Fold. Um, spell that? F- F-O-L-D. Fold card. Yeah. Um, like like what is it? What does it do? Um, the big Bitcoin reward card. You haven't heard of it? Oh, I I heard a few people talk about it. Like, should we hear about it? Like, is it important? <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's just like getting you know getting like rewards, Bitcoin rewards and Bitcoin from your you know everyday spending. So I, th- I found it really interesting. I just I just actually just um, signed up for the card, um, like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people say something about it. Maybe it's good. I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious about that. I haven't, I haven't paid too close attention because, like, the Coinbase debit card, as an example, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times it has, like, 4% cash Ooh, back four, on wow. uh, XLM, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it's hard to beat that. Um, I think Amazon credit cards, if you buy shit on Amazon, they give you, like, 5% cash back. So they're sort of, like, you know those are some of the strongest rewards things I've seen. Um, so no, but I haven't seen this old thing. Is it like a debit card or something? Yeah, or like a gift? It's a debit card. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah it could be good. Um, but yeah, it depends on like what you can spend and where to like the Coinbase one's pretty widely interoperable. It's like a full on visa debit. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the one crypto.com had, they have a debit card and the, the thing kind of sucked. It didn't work everywhere. Mm. So like you'd go to some places and it would work and other places it didn't. It was just irritating. So people didn't like that. Plus the crypto.com people sort of rug pulled the, uh, the bunch of people paid like ridiculous amounts. Uh, Bruce, like there's this obsidian card for crypto.com. Mm. And if you hold a certain number of like, I don't know, pro tokens or some shit, a lot of money worth too, like a couple hundred grand or something like mm-hmm. USD worth. You had this ability to get like, like, 12% cash back on your card, right? So it's kind of like a, you know, like you're paying for a discount card sort of thing. And uh, what they did was like a bunch of people bought this and paid these kind of, this kind of money for the black card or some of the other cards that they had. And they dropped the percentage cash back rates like after you, they sold these things. It's such a, like it's, um, 
almost silly like that they would do this because like so much because then the crow token took a nosedive so not only did the value of your your cash go down your crow token but on top of that year you didn't even get the fucking rewards you paid for so that was a disaster anyway i like the ones that have like no obligation right like if, if whatever this fold thing is like if you don't have to put any money in it you just get cash back rewards enjoy right <laughs> but if it, you got to pay some shit into the thing fuck the thing just don't don't mess with it yeah yeah don't don't pay for cashback rewards <laughs> that's like buying airline points or something it's insane all right okay thank you hey stash tara what's up hey guys can you hear me mm-hmm. yeah um could you do a like just a quick revision again i forgot um about the kucoin grid bonds i just set up a few and it was in the middle of the range of like the high and low i set it up and then set obviously the minimum price but i forgot i'm pretty sure you have sort of gone through this before like when it's going down uh just let the grid bot do its thing i just don't look at it just let it go through a few up down yeah. up down yeah in the beginning like as the price falls your position is going to be in the red it's going to show as like yeah, course, yeah. like like a loss or whatever but your but your grid profit is going to demonstrate like how much the grid portion made and what happens over time is with the grid piece the grid portion gets bigger and bigger then it overcomes the the token price dropping so the key there is to have like volatility over a period of months and then it sort of catches up to you know significant degree Mm. it does matter it matters as well when you enter and it matters the range and it matters your your um entry price versus the range like i'll give you an example if 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 you if you aren't convinced that there's a strong narrative where a coin is going to go up a lot and it there's a chance that it might go down a lot um one thing you can do is you can set say 95% of the grid range below the current price. So I I don't know which coin you're talking about, but let's say there's a coin like Luna or something like that where there's surrounding FUD and whatever else, and you don't really know what's going to happen. One thing you could do is if if Luna is at, say, 2.5, you could set um, a range of of like $1 below the current price. So say from, I don't know, 2.5, um, so if, if it starts at 2.5, you could have a range from, say, uh, 1.55 to 2.55. So 95% of the range is below the current price. That would mean that, that initially only 5% of the initial capital buys Luna at the start to sell the range from 2.5 to 2.55, whereas 95% of the capital is kept in, say, BUSD or another stablecoin to buy the range below 2.5. That means that you're spending more on the way down. You're only spending, really, you're only spending 95% of your capital if the price goes down. What that achieves is that you, you significantly lower your risk. If there's the chance of a downwards volatility, the price goes down a lot. You're, you're lowering your average buy-in significantly, and you're only investing more and more as it goes down. Whereas, if it goes upwards, you might... And also in that, Bruce, like the... The idea is you expected it to go down, and that means that. And if the price went down and enters your grid and really kind of starts buying, then it did exactly what you intended, right? So yeah. the, the so if you have a bearish sort of, I consider that like a bearish grid um, setup. 
and you want the price to fall, right? That's the whole point of setting it that way. No, no, but but let's let's consider. Yeah, I agree. But let's consider also that that um, if you have that setup where the the majority of your range is below the current price, then there's almost no downside because the worst that can happen is the price goes up, and because your range is below um, the current price, you simply don't buy. But then what has happened? You've made some profit and you've kept it in BUSD. So you've made no loss. Like it's it's just conservative trading. It's how you protect your capital, right? Mm. Um, and, and like to give you a, a contrasting example, contrasting example is if somebody follows the default setup for a grid, like let's say there's a bearish market, you don't really know what's going to happen. And somebody sets their, their entry price halfway um, through the grid or maybe even to the bottom of the grid. So there's more more invested early to sell the way up. In that situation, when the price goes down, you can really be fucked because you've invested so much in the quote token to start with, right? And and um, you, if you want to exit, like if if the price goes up or down or whatever, um, you're risking significantly more of your base capital than if you were to set the majority the the grid range below the current price. You know, there's a funny, uh, there's a funny little conversation going on in the uh, Voyager space, and someone's saying, "Hey, look, it's a it's a bankruptcy within a bankruptcy because <laughs> if if FTX buys uh, the the Voyager assets and they go bankrupt, be a bankruptcy within a bankruptcy, and it's all, and then someone else goes, oh, it's like an inception, and then someone's like, else is like, it's a Russian doll bankruptcy." just funny like so I, in other words i should just like kiss my fucking money goodbye or something or conversely as long as uh if ftx is going to fail it needs to do so quickly so that they can you know <laughs> they don't fuck up voyager one more time uh it's like it's not it's crazy bruce because like a lot of people they um they either had money in voyager and then got into terra or had their money in terra and got into voyager and got wrecked twice right so like it's just a total disaster uh yeah crazy anyway so yeah so that uh but yeah did that answer your question foundry like as far as like the yeah i guess strategy. hearing from you guys it seems like uh, i think when you're setting up the grid you have to understand um like you said your your intention right you try want to trade between a range that historically is a resistance support so then just keep bouncing up and down or like maybe Coach Bruce was saying, um, that way is more conservative trading. You always set up your ninety-five percent of the, you know, your your bot grid are below, you know, the the the, the range that you started off with. So I don't know. I just maybe I just set up a few and just give it a few months and see what they do. I did start yeah. a few identical ones. Yeah, One if you don't mind your cash sitting there doing nothing, right? Let's say the price shoots up and you know leaves the range and you never have an opportunity to sort of like make any money off the thing. It's fine. You still have your cash, I suppose. Right. Um, so th that's sort of like the worst that can happen in that situation. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Um, so you, you just won't win them all and that's okay. But like the risk yeah. is so relatively low when you do it that way. You, you, you just decide what your, like your theory is with whatever coin it is and your willingness to lose your initial capital um, in the short term or even the long term. Um, and then then you adjust the parameters. Um, I, I was just giving two, two contrasting examples, right? So like 
the majority of the range under the current price is as conservative as you can be. You can even set a grid up that starts, not currently, but it starts like at a lower range that is just entered. Like if Lunar is um, 2.5 or something now, you could start up a grid that only exists from one to two. Um, the, the disadvantage of that is you have BUSD sitting around, but you can enter strategically um, and have things set up in advance and stuff. But like in a situation like this, it might make sense to have, say, like one third of the grid range above the current price and two thirds below it or whatever. Um, then it's it's trading actively. But at the same time, the majority of your BUSD is kept safe unless there's a strong downwards um, swing in the price. So but but I think in terms of learning these things and refining your strategies and stuff, what me and Sefi and I think anyone who's got pretty good at this kind of stuff uh, does is just experiment, like take small amounts of capital and just like, I I probably created like a thousand different bots (laughs) just to, just to play around. Um, That's what I'm doing now. (laughs) Yeah. It's like just, there's no textbook. There's no, you might find a few video tutorials of enthusiasts and things, but generally even those guys are just, affiliates for some um exchange or whatever who haven't really taken a deep dive they're just like oh this is a way to make money here's a, my affiliate link for qcoin yeah most of those youtube videos suck that's the problem <laughs> they don't really very get basic. Into, yeah they don't they don't get into very good like um setups and things for whatever i think it's because they just use like you said they just use affiliate links and they don't know anything yeah and they and <laughs> the default settings on qcoin and stuff like um the defaults won't be very good they they might make yeah. the exchange a lot of money, um, but they'll probably fuck you over. And it's like it, it, they, they typically when you um, make a grid on KuCoin or something, it has a fairly wide range, and it also enters halfway down the range, which is often not the smartest thing. Like if somebody is trying to conserve their initial capital and do this as low risk as possible, and also um, decrease the average buy-in as much as possible to increase the chance of profit. Like it's, it's usually better to put most of the grid range below the current price um, from experience, especially in this bear market when you don't know what's going to happen. It's like protect your capital at all costs. Um, you want a situation as well where, the, in my opinion, the grid works and it makes you some money, but at the same time, it allows you to sit on your hands and wait for good opportunities. So if you have a grid where the majority of the range is below the current price, um, even if it doesn't make too much money in the short term, it it, it conserves a lot of your capital to be ready for key opportunities. Right? Yeah. So even if you're, yeah, exactly. Like, let's say something better turns up for some reason and you're down a little bit on this thing. Okay, fine. You're down 5%. Out you go. You don't need to worry about it because it's all in cash anyway. Because you can just close it off and then you actually want to buy that if you think it's a good opportunity. Yeah. Like when soon, soon is kind of like the, some of the Twitter accounts that were talking about Link, for example, started lighting up, like Pintoshi and a few other people. They're like, oh, yeah, you should probably start looking at Link. Um, <laughs> it just means that, you know, like clearly they bought some Link or whatever, and they're looking at the chart and they're like, okay, this thing's bottomed out. Fine. Let's let's look at getting it. There's a narrative. You know, there's this, this staking thing coming out in December. And, um, you, know, and they, you know, the staking thing may not add any real value to Link in the short run. But it has a meme effect, right? Like people talk about it, narrative effect. And, you know, the probability is that during that time frame, the coin will beat the market because there'll be sufficient people playing that narrative idea. Like 
it most recently it happened twice, like a couple of exa- notable examples. If you look at Adam, how it performed like two months before Cosmoverse, um, look at um, E-Gold, E-G-L-D, like uh, the X day, whatever the fuck it was in Paris this last weekend, that was their kind of day. And um, like E-Gold was sort of was trending upwards all the way up until like maybe the day before the conference and started dropping. And then it kind of pulled back like from 60 bucks to like right now it's like 52 or 53. So you can see how much volatility is right there, right? So if you go, okay, look, um, uh, you know, a, a reasonable grid would be like, you know, I don't know, something that runs up. Like if you know a conference is coming up in a month, so you pick the current price, maybe you leave yourself some you know, room to fall underneath that. And then like for link, for example, um, like a a decent range might be something like, Oh, I don't know. Like, where are we now at like nine bucks or something or eight bucks? So, so you'd go from like maybe eight to maybe 24, you know, I think a three X in link is not unreasonable. It moves a lot when it goes. Um, and it tends to, to move independent of the rest of the market a lot of the times too, with link for some reason. So, you know, like eight to 24 might be effective. And if it never reaches 24, fine. Um, you know, you can always exit it at two X or something like that. Um, or if there's a lot of volatility in between, you can capitalize on that. And I think Bruce did the, the futures grid bot. So there's a, some leverage in there and that's another option. You can use smaller amount of money, but throw some leverage on it, but keep your, um, like lower price for liquidation low enough that, um, you're unlikely to hit that or you can easily close it out. Um, but you know, in, in crypto though, like they don't call them scam wicks for a reason you can have on any individual exchange, by the way, you can have like a really wicked wick that drops, um, or, or jumps really quickly. And when that happens, it's like, a it's where the velocity of the trading on that exchange exceeds the speed of like the oracles to catch up. And you wind up with this crazy wick that goes in one direction or the other. And um, you don't want to get liquidated. You have to be kind of careful, like a 25% like flash wick, you know, would not be unexpected, which is why a lot of people get their uh, like stop losses or the liquidation levels hit. And, you know, like it closes out, it lo- you lose your money or close out your position or whatever. So you got to be careful anyway. But uh, yeah, for Link, I think, um, like, I think probably... Like when we started talking about it, it was like maybe seven fifty, and I think fourteen dollars is pretty much a given. Um, you know, like a two x is pretty much obvious um, for crypto movement, and then a three x. I think there's a pretty decent probability of it, but you could also just say screw it, exit at a two x, and be done with it. Because in a bearish market, like, is it going to go head off to all time high at this point? I doubt it. So I think if the staking narrative plays out. It hits like fourteen to twenty-four dollars, and then it, you know, some sort of sell the news things happen at some point in December, and then it starts dropping towards just January. Is what I would guess would happen. Um, so I would set my grid accordingly. But if you hit the top of the grid, you might as well exit because, like Bruce said, like you might as well just take the profit and exit. There's no need to write out the grid if you've already gone all the way to the top. I think you've you've gained most of what you're going to gain in that situation, and you can like take your cash out and find something else to do go to another sandbox or something. Um, anyway, because I'm not really a huge fan of owning Link long-term. I don't really care about the coin that much. So it's just purely a speculative thing. Just playing the meme, Sessi, uh, Sefi, right? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. It's, as long as it's interesting, you just kind of jump in there for a little while. 
and I don't, I don't do this that much. I, like, it's not always there's a clean narrative to follow. So, um, you know, it's you you can do this sort of thing. But I think doing it as a bot probably is a bit safer than just um, either even a spot position or a um, or a uh, like a leverage position because it leaves you a lot of room to be wrong. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. the nice thing. You you also don't. You, there's no real. Um... There's nowhere near as much cost of time in that even if a token remains roughly the same price um, and is roughly correlated to Bitcoin, you know, typically more with these altcoins, um, even in that case, the grid is probably still making in the range of about 10, 15% a month. So it's like there's not much downside. Like even if, for instance, I enter a grid for Link, and I just leave it running, and the, the the thesis is completely wrong. After two months, I'm still up probably at least twenty percent, just through through pure volatility, even returning to exactly the same price, um, and just you know benefiting from the the correlation to Bitcoin and whatever else, and like the odd bit of news. There's there's not really much downside. Like the downside is you still make about ten percent at least a month. Um, so like yeah. It's, no yeah, the, the other interesting thing about it is like um, you're almost always going to beat staking yield. And that's the other opportunity cost, right? Not almost always. You're always going to be staking yield uh, with tri- typical crypto volatility. Um, the, maybe the downside to that would be like if you have a coin, um, you've acquired a lot of it via staking and auto compounding and the coin does a 10x, right? Obviously the grid bot thing is not going to be to 10 X like um, unless you're leveraged. But outside of that um, yield wise, if you just need to sort of make an income and you're not worried about making mega bucks or you, you know, you don't want to wait for mm. like, I don't know, whatever, how many years it takes for a bear market situation to like, um, you know, resolve, then, you know, you uh, can make it like sort of a ca- constant cash flow. So it's like a type. It's like a type of tool. I would say, um, yeah. use it for certain things. Yeah, I, I would say a few things. Um, the The worst case for a grid bot, uh, except the future grid, futures grid, the worst case for a regular spot grid bot is that the price goes up quite aggressively. Um, in which case, there's a high chance that you will sell the way up and miss out on significant profit you would have gained with a spot grid. And there's also a chance that if you have a, a grid that trails upwards, that you will raise your average buy-in quite a lot by selling on the way up and then buying the grids on the way down um, in a maybe an un- unwise manner where you could have sold the top or something like that. Um, it, it, you, you, you risk significantly missing out on profits compared to spot. Um, if the price pumps a lot in the upwards direction, um, quite aggressively and suddenly, that that's like the loss. But what you gain is is like significant um, risk minimization on the downside and the preservation of your initial capital. Um, and I think I, I talked about this in another space before. It's like we have this weird contrasting mental model where it's like you make almost no money in in fiat. Like what is it? One percent interest at best. Um, or something like real estate earning what eight percent per year added to the headaches and all of the stuff and hurricane damage and whatever the fuck else you've got to deal with. 
Um, but we've somehow missed this obvious opportunity in crypto, which is like you can you can directly turn the volatility into passive income, and it's quite lucrative. Like you can make 10, 20% a month on a bot, even with quite conservative setups. Um, so it's like people are looking at these 10, 100Xs and they're contrasting it with fiat and the, the lack of money you can make there, but they're missing these, these obvious opportunities to bet on volatility rather than direction, which is quite interesting to me. Like if, if you are somebody who has a decent amount of capital or maybe wants to preserve the capital you do have, then grids are just an obvious option. Like, I, it doesn't I, have to be particularly exotic, Bruce. Like, for example, let's say you're talking about Bitcoin, right? And let's say you were to sort of open up a position now, and you could basically do like a $10,000 to $100,000 Bitcoin grid, you know, and not even have that many increments. And the odds are you're going to do pretty well. Like, you know, like, like the, the odds you're going to lose a lot of money doing that is you know, unlikely, I think, compared to, let's say, for example, you just like buying Bitcoin now and leaving it there. Because in a multi-year sort of like bear market or whatever you want to, like you're going to get a significant amount of return on the bot. And um, if you need the capital for some reason, right, it's selling on the way up some. So you have the cash available if you needed it for some reason. So it's, um, I don't know, it's a bit more of a liquid uh, position to do it that way than mm -hmm. to just kind of, um, I don't know, like compared to other, other options that you could have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there are, yeah, there, I mean, there are downsides as well to that, but if you choose to contrast it to what you would be able to do in fiat money in, in centralized finance versus, um, let's say the, the hope of a crypto 10 X or something, then it, it becomes a way better um, choice. So yeah, like it's it's like this this interesting thing in the middle that most people are missing, this this direct conversion of volatility, um, and the the generation of passive income from grid bots into profit rather than having to wait around and and time it or bet on direction or whatever. It's it's just like I don't know. It's interesting. Most people don't think about this stuff. Also, I would also say if. If somebody has, say, $100,000 now and they want to guarantee turning that into $2 million in three, four years, you can do it almost, um, almost guaranteed with bots just by slowly compounding like 10% a month. Um, I, th I think you can, over a long time period, I think you are almost guaranteed to, to outperform um, spot trading in the long term just because like over a long enough timeline, volatility is guaranteed, but direction isn't. And it's really, really hard to time anything. Yeah, volatility is kind of a resource in a sense. And it's, it's sort of why stock traders and stuff will play uh, in the crypto space. And like historically, it's been said that like after the markets close, like you see more you know, drama in that evening time because like stock traders get off of their thing and they start playing in crypto because they're, they're done looking at the market or whatever. And, um, you know, it's because people want that, the quantitative traders want that volatility to play with. And um, it, uh, because uh, crypto markets are so relatively um, like super speculative, um, th the volatility still remains uh, for now. 
And I, the, the trick has been finding the right assets to bother to play in, right? You, you don't want to really play in something with a high probability of like going to zero, for example. That would be problematic. <laughs> and um, it would be nice actually to be able to do like, for example, like in stocks is a good example. Like let's say you had like, I don't know, you had some favorite tech stocks like a Google, Apple, maybe a Tesla or whatever. It'd be really nice to be able to do um, like a rebalancer bot with those. But I haven't seen that offered anywhere for stocks. But I haven't looked lately. There Maybe there's some options out there where you can connect an exchange and it'll buy and sell for you like incrementally. So like if let's say Google jumped 5% today, which I think it did, then um, which I like, bought like a couple of days ago, um, let's say it jumps 5%, like maybe it'll rebalance by selling a portion and buying you some more of the other stuff that dropped, like, you know, Tesla dropped, I think, you know, another, it dropped 5% or 6% today or something. So it would buy you Tesla cheaper by selling one of the winners that you have. That's assuming, of course, that you believe all of those will go up over the long run for some reason or the other. Um, but it helps you play that volatility and you ultimately end up with more shares of the things you care about. So you're not really thinking about it from the angle of a immediate profit. It's more of like rebalancers are more for, um, I think it's, they're, they're more useful for like acquiring more of the coin you care about or more of the stock you care about. But um, like a stock uh, market, like, um, you know, t a stock versus a crypto token could be interesting because there might be situations where like one is going up and the other one's going down and you can play the volatility much more. Like if you can get a 10% delta in a day or something like that, like, and you could do that consistently every day. I mean, good God, you'd just be, you'd really be raking it in. <laughs> like, so how to get that kind of volatility um, between two different things is almost the holy grail of like quantitative trading. Like nobody gives a shit what the actual asset is. As long as they can get that volatility, they're happy basically. Yes, Dash. So, Sefi and Bruce, what do you guys look for in an asset that you want to go into a grid bot? Obviously, volatility. And then, are, do you have a general thesis of this is going to go up or down? And then you sort of position your, your entry points in your grid, uh, grid direction accordingly? Yeah. I mean, you, you'd have to kind of do a little bit of maybe uh, the usual kind of like fundamental and technical analysis that you might otherwise do. Um, it, the grid just gives you a wider, uh, like... Smooths your mistake, right? It smooths your mistakes, exactly. It gives you a wider space to be wrong, as I was going to say. Uh, yeah, exactly. It smooths out your mistakes is probably the best way to describe that. Um, yeah, but like as far as like what assets? Well, I think uh, obviously if there's some really, really fundamentally insanely bullish thesis for some reason um fine but that's oftentimes not the case um uh like some things you can watch for you can set some alarms like for example um let's take for example the adam bitcoin chart let's say adam breaks the all-time high against btc um which i suppose like you know may or may not happen but we'll see but let's say it did um that would be a really good example of like a serious breakout and you could probably expect a really serious run up, right? So, you know, because there's no resistance against the Bitcoin chart, essentially, you'll, you'll have a big jump. So that might be an alarm you set for yourself just on the, like, you know, put it on like a trading view chart or something, 
put the alarm so that if that happened, you'll be alerted and then you'll kind of jump on that at the time that it happens. Um, what else? Um, like you, so the proof of work chains, like, I don't know, Litecoin, Dogecoin, Bitcoin, whatever. Um, it's improbable they'll go to zero. Um, so that, um, improbable as in like, you know, you'd have to have a serious broken network for some reason. Um, and, uh, the probability of those getting into trouble are much lower. So like Cadena is an example, there's a bunch, you know, anything proof of work basically. Um, so those, you can sort of ride them out because you know, they're that like the cost of mining and this and that results in miners buying back tokens at some bottom. If it's cheaper to just buy the coin than to mine. So there are some market dynamics that play out that kind of prevent the thing from going like to super zero. Like, you know, there's a point after which it's, they're not going to drop any further. Um, typically as far as like the crypto market's concerned, like we are at what, like, I don't know, a lot of things are like uh, corrected 80% or more. So um, that's usually a good sign. Um, if something's corrected, like, uh, you know, over 90%, then, you know, basically almost everybody that bought the run-up has already either sold or has been wrecked. So there's nobody left to sell at some point too. So these are definitely the conditions where, like, we're getting close to the kind of conditions where, like, buying opportunities could be really good. Some of the people who are, like, traders, though, if you listen to traders on, like, you know, Twitter or stock twits or whatever, they'll start thinking, like, they'll start being really bearish about everything. And they're not impressed that, you know, like the price has pulled back this far. And that's because these are momentum traders and they want the thing to go up immediately. They don't want to have their cash sitting somewhere going sideways or possibly somewhat negative. They might be really, really interested only if it's going up at that moment. So momentum traders tend to get a bit later um, and they tend to comment sort of bearish until like, you know, the momentum's really, really soaring. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, if you, if you wait for those folks, uh, you usually miss out on something like, I don't know, two or three X by the time momentum really picks up. A good example would be like, so 2020 uh, BTC crash, the COVID crash, I think it would drop to like 3,500 or so. And like really the buzz and excitement didn't happen until you had like a, a golden cross I think it was like close to seven or eight thousand dollars. So you almost had like a two to three X um, before a bull market was even declared, you know, a thing, right? So you missed out on a lot of the gains because you were afraid to buy Bitcoin at thirty five hundred because people were making bearish comments like, oh, it's gonna go to a thousand and all this sort of thing. So um yeah, you'll always on the way down, you'll have people commenting even more and more negative. And um then you know that your your convictions should start increasing if you want this thing. Because um, otherwise, if you wait for the momentum to pick up, you now have, are buying into something that's already done a three x usually. And if there's another dump, like which happened what twice with Bitcoin, <laughs> like um, then you're basically buying a intermediate top, thinking that the momentum's there, but it's not. And then you have another dump again. So um, yeah, with this wacky ass market condition, let's say the chain link discussion we talked about earlier, like if it were to hit twenty four bucks, like yeah you know, just get rid of it. Like that's, that's what you would do but, uh, because but the, the, the odds of the odds of having another retest of the bottom, which is like what five bucks or something is pretty high. So just, just be, be aware of that.
but but I want to enter an asset that I think is going to kind of stair step right up there and not just rocket. Because yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think crypto, the market in general, stair steps. I don't know that any individual token does so with any like predictability. So if you want, and the thing with bots and things too, um, is you want something fairly popular and with high liquidity. You don't necessarily want some like bottom of the barrel coin that nobody's going to pay attention to until an actual bull market happens, right? Or, you know, or like some like microscopic little project where some amazing announcement has to like happen to make it go up um so yeah it's it's uh it's hard to pick those things mm. I, was, I was just thinking of the uh so i was thinking of this ftt deal and uh was looking to get into a grid bot with soul because that thing's just dumped and obviously yeah tremendous soul, soul could be a good that. one actually here uh let me look at the chart actually yeah bruce you're saying uh yeah yeah i just agree like a good opportunity in general is also when when um there's a significant wave of, of FUD and everyone gets afraid and they all exit or whatever and there's like it, it seems to bottom out. That that is a a good time to enter a grid where everyone who is sold through emotions is already sold. Like um I have grids open for things like Luna right now, and I don't know much about Sol, but it sounds like a good one as well um, for right now. Like when there has been that that point of emotionality, then things tend to spring back the fastest, um, and also it gives you the lowest downside, right? Like the the sellers have already exhausted; the the peak fear has already happened. Um, with something like Luna, it's quite interesting because it's like, despite the fact that all of these um, most of it was like disinformation, but despite the fact of all the bad news and arrest warrants and talk about Interpol or whatever, although that turned out to be fake um, and everything else. And, and despite the fact that uh, there's, there's like a widespread opinion of, of um, you know, Do Kwon's a bad guy and da, 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 da. It got to a point where the release of new bad news just had almost no effect. Like <laughs> it was like, there's a new lawsuit. There's a, a new arrest, something there's a new, whatever. And it's like it had no impact on the price at all. And at that point, you know that everybody who wanted to sell um, has already sold. So it's like a good time to enter because small changes in sentiment um, that that contrast that thick kind of hue of, of fear and whatever um, will produce quite a big increase in price um, because there's almost no pressure to sell. Yeah, I was looking at the Solana uh, chart here while you guys were chatting. And like, so what's happening there is okay um so it's at 27 bucks now the top for solana was like 259 dollars and it's fallen below the highest volume range during the bull market which was like the um 33 to 44 dollar range so that's what i was saying before the prices tended this year to fall below vpvr the volume profile visible range because everyone's been using it. So like people are putting all their stuff lost and shit right there. So it tends to fall below. And then the, the next volume range is where it's at now is like $23 to um, about 33 and it's a 27 right now. And then you have this big gap where there's almost no volume uh, in the like $12 to like $23 range. So 
um, it wouldn't strike me as odd at all for this thing to go to like five to 10 bucks. Like it can go crazy low. So if you own soul, I'm not trying to like panic you or some shit, but like that would be pretty normal in that context to do it. If like, there's no guarantee it will though. But if you wanted to be conservative here, like you're like, well, you know, I think soul's a decent coin. I want to pick some up for whatever reason. And then the way you would go about this, I think would be like, um, I would do a pretty conservative grid here, maybe make the top even like below the price that it's at now, maybe like $25 and make the bottom like at like maybe five bucks and then just let it run. If like price falls into that range and you really want this coin, let's say it goes all the way down to five bucks and it goes to the bottom of your grid. You can just close your grid too, by the way. If it goes all the way to the bottom, you're like, ooh, I don't mind holding, like, I don't mind holding my position here. Um, you could just close it. And then sometimes what I'll do is I'll be like, well, I'm really conservative. And then I'll like keep a pile of money and say, hey, if it goes to the bottom of my grid, I'll just double my position. So I'll not only will I exit the grid at that position, but I'll, I'll buy spot or something at that same price and then like double it. Um, so that's another kind of way to like maybe preserve capital or something. But yeah, like with Solana, the, the range can be quite brutal um, because as the price falls, remember like, everyone who is in profit is now panicking, right? Like before the people that made, you know, maybe the people that bought it in a dollar, right? So they're pretty happy still. They're like, they're a 27 X and that should concern you. Cause if people bought it at a dollar, you know, let me, let me look at this chart. Where do people, where do people really buy this thing? Okay. There was a pretty sizable volume at literally like a dollar to $2. So as the multiples of like their gains are disappearing for those people that bought low, um, you know, the, the hardcore investors, right. Then the price will keep falling cause they'll keep panic selling on the way down. So it's pretty brutal on the way down, um, how aggressive these things can go. But like from a grid pop perspective, you can take that to your advantage. Cause you're like, okay, well I'll just take that five to $25 range and just like take advantage of that. Cause if it goes into that range, by the way, um, it's not like the coin is just going to like, you know, pop back up, you know, immediately. It's going to go sideways for like, I don't know, who knows how long, probably a year or something. Why? Because when you're wrecked that much, um, the, the, the price discovery to the upside has already been determined. And the price discovery to the downside, because this is like a relatively new coin, has not been determined. So it can really like go into substantial negative price discovery to find that floor. And once it finds that floor, it's going to establish that over a period of something like six months to, or more. So that's when the grid is really going to like make you money on the sideways market. So Solana actually looks pretty good for a grid bot in many ways. Um, I haven't heard anything particularly bad like that, you know, like the Solana network is going to have a problem or something like that. Well, no, it's just that, uh, you know, FTX, they have a lot of that. Yeah, Alameda uh, has assets. a lot of it. Or Alameda, yeah, has mm -hmm, a lot yeah. of their assets. So they're, they're having to dump on the market to... Uh, kind of backstop, I guess. Yeah, what, what that is, is like if Alameda has to sell Solana to buy FTX or some bullshit like that, right? Uh, unless their Solana is also leveraged, which, you know, I suppose it could be. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah. I just go back, Sefi, to the Luna when you were talking about Solana and a lot of these high yields, right? That when they, when they really get hit, it just, it, it, it goes down that much quicker, right? Because there was that much leverage sort of built up into the system. Oh yeah, you're saying just there's, there's not just leverage, but there's also the, the token uh, numbers because of the inflation. 
yeah so there, there's mm-hmm. there's a fair number of tokens like compared to what how many tokens of solana there were when it was a dollar there's more tokens now uh, on the way down so uh it can definitely revisit ridiculously low price levels i mean ethereum did this in the past i mean you know like we really shouldn't be too too surprised at how, how low these things can go because i think from uh it's already down what like 90 percent or what what's the how much is it down from the top now let me see um so the cool thing on trading view is you can just pull your little percentage thing um it's a little price range like thingamajig and you can just sort of like let me see um all right so we are at it's harder on my phone here yeah it's about 90 percent down um yeah it's 90 percent down from the top so <laughs> yeah but imagine if you're entering into a large position now you could still if you go from like 25 bucks to five bucks you could still go down quite a lot even from this position this is the reason why like in crypto to me the only sensible strategy if you're just going to buy outright is to buy geometric where your sizing increases as the price falls because otherwise you just like i don't know you won't have enough capital um you could do it you could do dcas at these levels too once you get to a point where you're down 90 percent from the top it's not unreasonable to just open like a weekly buy or something too. That's another way to handle um, acquisition at this point. Cause um, yeah, that would be fine too. So you don't have to get too fancy with these things. Um, Milo, do you have some questions about these things? Oh, Milo's there. Mm, coach, no, so you, I'm here. I'm just oh, yeah, there you are. go ahead, man. <laughs> you have a question? So, uh, Coach, I had this, uh, like, kind of idea that I was, you know, discussing earlier today about kind of the creation of some new chain. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's kind of after having seen all the different, like, issues with different chains, looking at... um, the arguments, you know, of centralization, decentralization, you know, hearing all the issues with governance and watching that play out in the background and um, looking at the tokenomics of different coins that we like to own. Um, I suspect there's kind of a system of coins that would sort of do the job. Um, and I think uh, there there are several sort of problems with chains right now that need to be solved. And I think um, there's probably uh, like some sort of mathematical solution to solve a variety of these issues. Um, My thought, Bruce, was and maybe like chime in as we go here. So one of the problems is these validators. um, So like in Cosmos, let's say you have 200 validators, right? Um, The largest validator gets too big and no one's come up with any great solution for that, right? Like like the main reason it gets big is because exchanges have huge quantities of coin and they're liquid staking their customers assets like Coinbase for Adam, for example. And um, they have a huge amount of like mixture of voting power, theoretically, if they choose to exercise it, but they also have an outsized um, sort of like power when it comes to just validation, et cetera. Right. So you have the centralization issue. 
Um, have you seen any like real good solutions to solving that besides like redistributing, like, or maybe adjusting yields for the, if you have too big of a validate or something like that, have you seen anything really good? Like this come up? Mm -hmm. No, not really. I, I don't, I, you're also a lot deeper into this Sefi in general. I, I haven't seen nearly as much as you have, um, ways of, I, I wouldn't even know the the total ways of trying to counteract that because like so there's a few kind of basic problems when you try to counteract this so let's say for example you were to set a arbitrary limit on the size of a of a validator like let's say you know you, the biggest one can't get bigger until the smallest one gets bigger then something like that then what will happen is the big validators will split up into multiple smaller ones right so that won't work um so any attempt to punish the largest one for some reason will simply, you know, result in them dividing up for, you know, and that doesn't really change the voting equation. It doesn't change anything, right? It doesn't affect, it doesn't help centralization or decentralization anyway, right? So my theory is that probably some sort of disaster has to happen every so often, like on purpose. So, you know, imagine you're on the ocean and uh you're in a cruise liner and everybody dies because like you hit an iceberg or like you're on the ocean you're on a cruise liner and a big tsunami hits you and like everyone dies okay um or like you know a sea monster comes out of the the you know the, the leviathan comes out and swallows up the ship and takes them all down whole or maybe like you're at a surf competition and the waves are really flat that day so there's no you know you can't win because like you know, it just happened to be a bad day, or maybe you didn't catch a good wave because um, there's an amount of randomness in the system. And like, you know, you didn't catch good waves that day because you just got unlucky, right? So there's different things that make things unpredictable in nature. So like living systems have to contend with weather. They have to contend with bacteria and viruses and, you know, car crashes and all the other things that happen to living creatures, right? So if you think about it from a validator side, like we don't have any pre-programmed risks for them to get for getting too big. So it almost seems to me like algorithmically, there has to be some like destruction mechanisms, almost like, you know, how a video game has like, um, I don't know, like Sim City or something like that. I don't know if you remember these types of games where like our tornado will come through the city and it'll wreck everything. And then you have to go real build all this shit. Mm -hmm. um, so in other words, there's a programmed way to literally destroy funds. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you, you you kind of have a um you know a pile of those funds that can maybe be um like so a really large validator let's say um you or you just have programmatic lockups of tokens or like different interesting uh, dynamics that can make people think twice about too much putting too much money into this chain in other words you purposefully make people not want to put money here i know it sounds counterintuitive but the idea is you have this system that is sufficiently unpredictable enough that mega hedge funds and these types of people will stay out of it. And you do not want this thing listed on exchanges, like fuck exchanges. You just want to like make sure that you really um, uh, disincentivize that. Um, so I was thinking of this from the interchain security perspective. Let's say you had one maybe primary chain and you had like, you know, the one chain to rule them all sort of. And then you had like 
maybe seven to 10 uh, consumer chains. And each of them has their own coin and each of them has its own tokenomics. So let's say, for example, and they all have the same validator set possibly, or maybe even not like, but let's say you use like the Terra Feather thing that Doquan's coming up with and you, you create a series of coins, right? So you have like a series of coins and each of them has different properties. Like for example, let's say Lunk as an example has this burn mechanism. So you have one coin that has a burn mechanism and it's like deflationary. You have another coin that maybe is like, so that's the fire coin. Then you have the water coin and maybe it's inflationary. Maybe it has like a, I don't know, um, you know, 5% inflation or something. And the other one has a 5% burn. So depending on what you're trying to achieve, you might use one as a store of value, one as a way to pay validators. Like there's different mechanics depending on what you're trying to achieve with the thing, right? And then you could use a different thing for like governance so that that's not tied into the um, like the financial security, of the network and the governance can be like separated to some extent. Um, it could have the governance tokens could have different properties. Um, you could have another token that has like wildly changing behavior, like maybe one day the interest rate is like, is, you know, 3000 percent APY. And then the next day it drops down to like, you know, something, you know, like, so what would happen is people would say like, so let's say, you know, how you go like check the weather in the morning before you go surfing. So, uh oh, like the, the weather's suggesting that we're going to have a good surf today. Um, we're going to like get our board and go out. Right. So like the morning where like the big APY jump goes on, everyone sort of posts about it. it it's a big excitement. And then you wind up with people that like maybe move assets into that thing because they want to get the yield farming for the day. And then they jump to something else the next day because, well, you know, uh oh, look, a hurricane has been spotted. <laughs> like, literally, like the system will tell you ahead of time that there's a fucking disaster coming and you don't know which, where it is. Right. You induce volatility on purpose. You induce absolute panic and fear in different ways. <laughs> and so like you have to keep monkeying around to sort of get the best um, outcome. And if let's say you just did an ETF of all the coins, right? Like your seven coins, you just want to have like an average value of all these things. You could get the ETF token that just sort of like, you know, holds the value of the different ones. But if you want to participate in the volatility of any individual one, or maybe like run grid bots or something like that against these crazy ass things, you could do all that, right? Does that make sense? So like you, you, you induce volatility on purpose, you induce chaos. And then um, that prevents the system from becoming too centralized on the one hand. Um, it disincentivizes that in some ways. Um, it also incentivizes like lots and lots of wallets being formed. So um, you, you want sort of like this wide distribution of tokens and like you gamify the entire thing. So the whole thing is just fun. You create a situation where this chain itself is creating memes, you know, <laughs> on a daily basis. Like, you know, something crazy happens. Uh oh. Like the fire coin is about to be a hit by like a huge, you know, tsunami of water coins. And, you know, like, you know, 2% of the supply is going to be um, consumed or destroyed or devalued or something like that. Right. Um, I don't know. Something crazy where the, all the coins interact and it's almost like, you know, tarot cards interacting or Pokemon cards or some shit. There's like a there's a game being played between all the different uh, coins. So like the, the game itself is the chains. It's not even the. Like you don't need to create a separate set of series of dApps and this and that fuckery. Like so all someone has to do is then create a dashboard that says, Hey, look, uh, these are the events that are coming, you know, a hurricanes coming, tornadoes coming, lightning's going to strike the, 
you know, you're going to get electrocuted or something. <laughs> and uh, each of these chains has these weird properties. And you can choose to, like, you know, put your money in one or, um, you know, maybe there's some of them have defensive properties or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a big game between these different chains with different properties. And it's, like, infinitely expandable because all you can do is just add more. Uh, you can add, like, additional consumer chains and things. Um, and maybe they bring back value to the validators and also to the, the primary network. And then remember, like, Astroport and I think White Whale did that lock drop type method for distributing the coins. So you don't take any team tokens, right? You just, or maybe have a tiny community pool. And the goal is like, you don't have any centralization at all. The only people like that benefit are the people that know about it early. They can buy the coin early. But outside of that, it's a lock drop too. So that you, there's like a fair launch type of deal. So no one's bitching and moaning about like, oh, there's a community, you know, it's a security, this, that, and the other thing. And it's basically, that's the type of project where like, everyone is perfectly happy getting on board because there's no like shenanigans and you don't need governance and all that other bullshit. You just set these things in motion. And once they're moving, like you don't ever, um, you don't ever change the dynamics of the game of that particular coin. Like there's no governance changes, none of that shit. It's like Bitcoin. Once the parameters are set, they're there forever. And that's the end of it. There's no team. There's no nothing. Right. Like, so any kind of systematic, um, way that you want to control how big validators get or don't get, you have to set that at the outset so that everyone is playing by the same rules. And then like you incorporate destruction and death into the system, just like life would have. You sort of program that in. I think it'd be very cool. Anyway, that's, that's the theory. Any ideas? <laughs> no, I like it. It's, it's um, similar to what I was saying the other day as well. I remember when I was talking about like uh, programmed randomness where the, the burn tax randomly changes and stuff like that. And it's like you have, um, because like part of it as well is just keeping people engaged, right? It's, it's not only solving the problems through making it somehow more isomorphic to life. It, it's also just like creating more of a fun story, more opportunities to make money, more opportunities to fuck up, um, more things on the horizon, like more of a. Um, yeah. Like imagine, imagine if you knew like three days ahead, right. The yield was going to go up on such and such thing and it was going to be a big jump, right. All of a sudden you're going to hear people talking about it. Right. And they're going to spread the word. And, um, you know, and like, you'd also want to make it stimulate, sti you'd want it to automatically stimulate, uh, people tweeting about it and messaging about it. That's another key element. So you want, you don't want it to be like random to this, to this, to the extent that like, you have no forewarning. You want to be able right. to plan a little bit ahead so that you can create it. You can gin up some attention. Yeah. Like, like you remember that um, analogy I gave the other day where everyone receives a copy of a new game and it's a great game and they install it together and they enter the right. map. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then it's like you, it's an interesting environment. It's immersive. There are lots of things to do. There are many options you can follow. There are ways of working together or being solo. Um, you have, this you I, I, you're more into gaming but like i've only played like i think the only game i've played is age of empires maybe i've played that Sefi. age of empires 2 yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like but, but like, you know how the different units have different properties and stuff right yeah, exactly but so there's but, a balance between the different units to make it fun but there's yeah exactly there's a balance isn't there it's like ease and challenge and and variety of options and the different civilizations you have and their advantages and the kinds of maps you have um, you know, forest maps versus open maps versus whatever. Like you create a sufficient variety to make it engaging again and again and again. 
and game studios know this stuff, but the the approach the the game studios have taken hasn't really been um, applied, I guess, programmatically to the blockchain. Right. It's the, the the chain is not used as a toy. It's used currently as like just a ledger. You know, like it doesn't have any interesting properties to it. So, like people when think they think about blockchain gaming. They're really talking about like a game that utilizes crypto to like make money or some shit. But my point is like the game is the chain. Like that's yeah, that yeah. is the fun. It was just like on Terra, you know, we were like all like fucking around looking for little, you know, LPs and different things for periods. Of, like you would do all that stuff and you realize like a lot of that shit was bullshit because while the parameters were interesting and fun for brief periods of time and little neat little arbs and things. The problem was the tokenomics of a lot of the systems would just basically suck, right? So in this case, if you could solve, like, if you could have, like, um, really good tokenomics, um, like, proper decentralization, and all of that combined with this game, then it becomes, like, the real deal. Like, it's almost both playable and investable. Whereas Mm. you and I both know that, like, well, if you went and put your money on, like, a, a, a loop finance fucking LP or something, you know, you're probably going to get wrecked, right? Like, it's just a matter of time that the loop token was going to go to, like, it was going to go really, really low. And then all the LPs get wrecked with it. And so these kinds of problems were mm. um, really uh, an issue with DEXs and things like that, right? So where in this type of system, the difference would be uh, there, maybe you don't even need a DEX. Like, maybe everything, like someone else can produce a DEX if they want. All you need to have is, like, the game being played by the token ownership itself and you could add an additional layers to the game so for example you have the ocean the ocean does also interesting shit like there's lightning and there's like waves and there's fish and whales and shit whatever uh you know maybe ice and uh you know different conditions tsunamis and all but but in the midst of all that you can go have a surfing competition right um so people can produce things in this chaotic environment that are games on top of the base game and Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting to me like you have this like um yeah like this environment that's constantly shifting and changing that's somewhat unpredictable and that creates a layer for a game like surfing or like snowboarding or something where maybe the the snow conditions aren't exactly optimal every time and like like think about it like if you think about surfing snowboarding things like that right a big part of being a pro at those things is understanding the environment as much as the actual sport itself. Cause like, if you don't understand like when to go out surfing, maybe like, you know, w- which snowpack is going to, you know, go into an avalanche or something like that. Mm-hmm. It makes it hard to be good at that sport. You have to really be in it. Like they plan like weeks ahead to do like, you know, jumping off with helicopters with under mountains and shit. They don't just sort of like mm-hmm. the stuff that show on TV is much easier than it looks. Right. Like, uh, I mean, it's much harder than it looks. And yeah. this would be the same idea. Yeah. And, and um, maybe to to introduce everyone to an idea I had the other day as well. It's like, because, um, I mean, I haven't been in crypto that long, not nearly as long as you, Sefi. But I, I was just noticing, like, how boring governance is in general. And, you know, these, well, okay, a few different things. But, like, look at look at what's happening now with lunk right this this debate over some funds or whatever and how action is stagnating and it's just the process is entirely boring and all these conversations happen in spaces and no action is taken and there's infinite quibbling and also look historically at how um these huge multi-billion dollar treasuries were just unspent 
in the bull market. Yeah, um, it's crazy it's, how much money got blown. So like, mm-hmm. um, just to relate to your idea, and uh, the idea I had the other day was um, governance as a game. So what if you could reimagine uh, a system of decentralized governance as a game? For example, let, let's say there's some proposal and there's a yes side and a no side to that proposal and say, say there's 40% yes and 60% no. What if rather than simply voting with your wallet and, and the, the total amounts of funds, what if those, um, those votes you have, um, which are really the amount of tokens you have, what if those votes or, or tokens are converted into characters in a mass game? And what if the size or the power of your character is proportionate to your wallet size, right? Um, and, and I guess down the road, potentially, like also your participation in the past battles, your, your past involvement in governance um, allows you to have a more powerful character. And then what if then it's not just about your financial skin in the game and your willingness to vote, but it's also, um, your, uh, it's also decided by your skill level um, in playing the game, your willingness to put time into the fight your ability to do things like cooperate with other players if we incentivize some kind of um, you know, uh, teamwork or cooperation in the groups. And, and what if, for instance, down the road, um, you had something like evolving NFTs that are granted by participation and outcome in these battles? Like if you are a person who participated in many prior governance battles and you have some kind of kill-death battle, kick, sorry, kill-death ratio of like three to one, um, that makes you about three times as powerful as the average voter, right? So like maybe you could have some kind of reward for that. Um, and maybe you have some kind of character that, that evolves and reflects your successes and your participation. So I think that could be interesting, like to, to turn the whole idea of governance into a game um, and, and just make it fun. And you also yeah. have things like uh, using it in situations where there are like cross-chain governance or cross-chain decisions or i think with the other day we were talking about like luna versus lunk if you can create a situation where there's like some kind of fun battle that would be cool as well yeah it's like what i was saying was like if you if you have used this new ics standard you could create like the primary chain and maybe there's some limited governance there right but the but these consumer chains or daughter chains that you create which might be, you know, the fire chain, the water chain, or whatever the fuck, right? Whatever, what do you want to call these things? Maybe like the Athena and Hera and Zeus chains or something like that. Just whatever, like, naming convention. The, the daughter chains maybe are immutable. And once they're created, like, they're there for good. Uh, so you wouldn't have any governance on the subchains. So that would be, so that the game doesn't get modified by that. But um, maybe uh, another chain could be created, chain number eight that has like that's done by governance or something but that adds new fun or properties to the game that you know might affect all of the other uh systems and validators and this and that so it's like yeah it's like there there has to be a way because the problem with vit games is they're hard to design perfectly from the outset um it's easy to make mistakes in their design because you can't really fully like flesh out how they're going to be played like you know, maybe like liquid staking assets get created and people start forming cartels and all that shit, right? So what ends up happening is like maybe it gets too you know heavy on one side for some reason, or maybe you overestimated the popularity of you know one of the coins versus the other or something like that. Then you may need to add some additional things for balancing 
But um, if you don't have a relatively high level of immutability, it's very hard to build on top of these things, right? Like, like the, it's, you notice this with the Lunk situation. When the burn tax was um, implemented, like a bunch of dApps and things stopped working, right? So those dApps had to then upgrade and whatnot for that. I think um, to keep development costs low, you want to keep things fairly immutable. And once you set them in motion, you just let them go. So yeah, the key is in the initial design for sure. Um, but we know a lot more about chains now, right? It's not like you know people haven't learned anything. <laughs> you can find if you had like you know seven proposals for seven chains, and you know people are like, oh, we have good tokenomics ideas, and you create all seven of them, and then you first you look at them and you say, okay, well, like let's see if how these would interact, like you know what financial primitives do we need to have an interesting like you know set of reactions between them like where would you want to create like rebalancer bots where might you want to grid bot these things how do we introduce volatility into the system and all that it's like you could um yeah you, you you'd want to flesh that out and then make it most of those features immutable where from now on for the next you know 100 years or whatever they don't change and uh, that way people can build games on top of them it's like it's like the ocean sort of like you don't wake up one day and like, uh-oh, one-third of the ocean is gone. That would be weird, right? Like a tsunami, you know, you say, okay, fine. We know those can exist, like a rogue wave. We know like maybe you could go swimming out in the ocean and get eaten by a shark. So there's some things that could happen. But these aren't out of the realm of like um, complete la-la land where like, let's say, for example, oh, look, that chain just disappeared next week. <laughs> you know, like that would be a little bit extreme. So there has to be some mm -hmm. like uh, base level of like, expectations but then um you know interesting volatility in between and like unpredictability and maybe um some advance warning of some things but then some things are totally just random and happen you know like <laughs> just out of the blue like a shark eats you or something but yeah that's kind of the idea like sort of mimicking mimicking more of how nature and maybe the weather behaves um yeah as opposed to like how like almost every other blockchain has been built so far, which could be pretty cool. Um, but I don't think it'd be that hard to create this sort of thing. I don't think it's that exotic, honestly. Um, like a lot of what I'm describing is just like tokenomics differences largely. And then some programmatic things where like you have to incorporate like, uh, I don't know, some like timing mechanisms into sort of like how the, the um, what do you call it? Like, some sort of randomization or scheme whereby um, maybe these chains interact with each other. So they accept inputs. Oh, look, the water chain did this. So now mm -hmm. the fire chain is going to do that. Or yeah, some interactions where maybe they're interconnected somehow. Yeah, I like it. And what, I wonder what's going to be possible with uh, Do Kwon's thing, like the, the ease of chain creation. I don't know what he's creating exactly. I, I think he's talking about exactly this, like, like, because he's adding the this idea that you could do like GPS and stuff. You saw that post he made or somewhere he's talking about like how maybe you could do actions in a specific location um, and that can translate to some sort of like achievement on the chain using GPS. So I don't know. Maybe he's going to reveal where he's hiding with that. How would you get around like um, location spoofing and stuff like that? Yeah, that's what I was, uh, Chugs and I were talking about this earlier. Like maybe you have to have like, you know, let's say you kidnap someone, you have a newspaper 
and it has today's date on it or something. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, well, how like to pre- prevent that. Like I've been trying to to match my first um, girl on Tinder for years now, and the the only women I've matched with are like um, these bots that just constantly change location and try to sell you stuff. So like I'll match with a bot with, with a, a girl, and it'll say like I'm Tiffany from one mile away. And then I open the conversation up the next day and it's like, she's 10,000 miles away. And I'm like, what, what's going on? And it turns out these bots just like, um, change location 24 seven on Tinder. And the idea is that they get as many matches as possible and, and use the conversations to, um, sell you stuff, like maybe get your number and then they text the number, some scam link. Um, so that's happening all the time. And I've, I've spent thousands of dollars in, um, sending funds to these different women. Um, but like, I'm, I'm just saying that to reflect on the fact that I am a victim of this GPS spoofing. I've been a victim of it for years, and so I'm you only keep, you keep sending money to bots. I'm only a victim because I believe in in that love is possible, and I refuse to give up. And just because I've been scammed again and again doesn't mean that I'm going to give up on the concept of love. You know what I mean? It's like I can make yeah. the money, work hard. Well, I can. Yeah, but like. I don't know if you should be sending like these girls money before you meet them, right? Like, yeah, but like maybe take them out to dinner or something. It's one of those cases where if somebody tells me they're starving, even if it is untrue, 999 times out of a thousand, if it's true in the thousandth case, if it is true, then that, that one chance that it's true and I really help them, then I do it a thousand times again anyway. Yeah. So like, even if it means like, wasting money like 80 percent of the time anyway i don't it's so i I, I get it it's not so much transactional it's just what do you do about these bots okay Mm. i don't know i'm not sure you need some other layer of proof wouldn't you like something in the location itself to i don't know take a photo of or something some kind of interaction i don't know yeah and even even with the like chain games kind of concept that i was kind of mentioning the you would have to make it such that like there's not substantial advantage to having some kind of bot or something like that right even in the the this is why like some of the events you'd have to make truly random that way like if people are just using bots and that's the only strategy they have then that'll wreck them sometimes right that was the other thing i was going to mention like yeah if someone's using uh no matter what technique they're using the sort of like programmatic chaos within the system it will eventually wreck you some of the time so that you, you can be sure that you won't be guaranteed to win. Um, it, yeah, there, there's no like definitive bot method to win the game every time. I suppose that's a way to like, you'd have to create this thing. And oddly enough, this mess ends up becoming an interesting investment vehicle because it like, uh, causes decentralization and um you would compensate for maybe some of the downside like maybe periodically your you know yield would drop or your coin value drop or whatever but then you could get an advantage later that offsets that to some extent but this would be like one of those things that like hedge funds and things would not touch with a 10-foot pole or whatever because they have no interest in this type of thing or maybe they would i don't know i'm not sure um because that we have this huge problem in in proof of stake where um validator centralization is such a big issue and no one's figured out a way to like really solve it 
So I think it's like it actually solves a problem through game theory ultimately. Yeah, just you know this this um, idea of huge validators, um, exchange validators, and um, validators controlling the majority of the votes or, or having the most power on the chain. Are there not um, characteristics of the stakers with those particular validators? Like, is the money not much less mobile? And are there not way fewer um, delegates per total amount of, of say, the, the lunar or the lunk or whatever? Um, like, are, are there not characteristics of that that are quite noticeable that you could maybe um, tie to and determine yield with something like that? Yeah, people have looked at different rewards mechanisms like, okay, well, you know, they have to vote or they have to demonstrate some sort of participation to get their yield or whatever, right? Like you, some method to reduce the desire to have them that size. But at the same time, you can see like Coinbase's perspective, they have a wallet they um, stake for their holders so that at least the people on the platform can get some yield. I think it's like 5%. Uh, I, I'm assuming Coinbase is pocketing at least 5% and maybe another, like uh, the, the rest of it might be just going back to like their cash reserves because they obviously have to be liquid. So yeah. they can't liquid, they can't stake all of it. So that's why you don't get like the max staking reward when you just sit on the exchange. But um, then uh like coinbase doesn't feel comfortable voting though because if they did then it would like really skew the votes and they're not necessarily using the votes of the people that hold the coin it would just be coinbase voting on behalf of all these people and like you know why would that be you know like that's kind of a strange thing to kind of give away your votes and uh, so it defies the normal like concept of proof of stake networks as being delegated uh people the this exchange is doing this ended up leading to one set of problems and then liquid staking has also created the similar problem right where liquid stake tokens like stride or whoever ends up having too much voting power because they are issuing the liquid stake token but they're mm -hmm. holding on to the governance power so all these weird things kind of come into play maybe the argument is like liquid stake providers become the counterbalance to your coinbase maybe i don't know maybe you just need you know more big ones and um they'll fight the other big ones or something. I don't know. Like there's, mm -hmm. it's a tough nut to crack though. Cause like you, obviously you want Coinbase to have Adam, for example, those, how are people going to get to the blockchain? Um, on the other hand, you can't really prevent them from starting a validator and you certainly can't prevent them from uh, voting if they want to, and you can't prevent them from bringing lots of users in and mm. liquid staking their assets. So like there's nothing you can prevent. So this maybe this is like a weakness of proof of stake networks. And no one's figured out how to solve the decentralization issue for that. Yeah. So my thought is like you would create a system that almost, you know, like deters people from even bothering to um, like you'd want to store your value on this place because it's a low likelihood of being destroyed. And it's a low likelihood of being co-opted by um, it's sufficiently decentralized enough and it's like low, low likelihood of being co-opted. So that creates its own value proposition that um even though like the like maybe this coins that you're on these seven chains or whatever it is even though they're not available on centralized exchanges you don't care like people will make their way there you make your make like you know not bridges but like make a way to get from like adam to the this project or something and then that's the end of it you don't need to 
um, like you don't need to overthink this to the point where it's like uh, you need like you, you, your goal is not to be listed on centralized exchanges. Almost like it's better to avoid that to some extent, uh, even if it means like less liquidity on the chain. Yeah. But I think a lot of like crypto folks, like if you look at the lunk crowd and everything, you have a lot of like um, quite. Uh, hey, man, what do you mean crowd? You have a quite the ideologic crowd. Like they really want uh, like this community where the man is not in control. Right. You get that vibe a lot. Like, wait, mm -hmm. what about these centralized controllers? Maybe they're going to be. You know, like that vibe is very heavy in crypto, like this uh, this paranoia about a group of people or a team or something like that. And they're going to wreck things at some point or maybe yeah, uh, they're going to have inside knowledge and they're going to make more money than me or something like that. I don't get that vibe. I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's like there's a plane crash on an island <laughs> and, uh, and 300 people are stranded on this island and uh, and. They're in the initial stages where they have a lot of energy and they're very hopeful and they're like, yeah, yeah, nobody should be the ruler. Nobody should be the leader. We can make it. Yeah, yeah. And then they all just like start fighting and starving and there's only 10% of enough food needed to sustain the whole group. And like it's just everything goes downhill quickly and, and people start eating each other. And then they're like, hmm, maybe human nature just just doesn't work like this <laughs> and they're like someone needs to lead someone needs to lead and then suddenly there's a leader and like after half the people are dead he he takes over and and kind of saves the day i think it's just like a i don't know like a it's like a basic human situation and the learning lessons everyone is going through um in real time like sped up uh that i think most humans have learned historically um for centuries yeah it's other another thing is it's interesting is like a lot of people who've never participated in any form of governance whatsoever or run a business of any kind like they've heard about you know maybe some of the parlance or whatever because of like maybe they own some stocks or or maybe you know whatever like they, they've voted in their countries or they've seen what they don't like about politics and then like they bring that rudimentary knowledge to the like blockchain discussion and everyone has like some idea about what they don't like about the world or something. Mm. And it's like, there's none of this stuff is like implementable in any serious way. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God. Wait, what are you trying some to achieve? The, <laughs> What's that? Some of the, even like beyond crypto, some of the, the, the things people keep bringing in with so little um, thinking about them, like, the, the thing about doxing, like er, with the multi-sig thing, they were like, everyone needs to dox. <laughs> everyone needs to dox. And it's like, okay, like, firstly, even if somebody does dox, what are you going to do? Like if they run away with the money or something, you think there is any kind of um, legal action you can take? The, the best thing you can do is like harass them and stalk them and turn up at their house and like, put them in a headlock or something like, are you going to do that? Like, is that the, is that the consequence we're negotiating? Um, and it, it, it's also like, um, oh, there's a lot to this, but it, it, it's like no, no understanding of like the, in this particular case, like the legal risks or the doxing risk or the, the way like, you know, Alex, who was in one of the spaces earlier, he has had about 10 different emails sent to his employers. Like Alex is transphobic. Alex is a racist. Alex is this. Alex is that. 
just because of his proposals to mint more USD, <laughs> to mint more Lung and stuff like that, they've they've already gone for his neck. Um, and I think Ed's got a few as well. So it's like, it's like that's the situation. Like that's the the fun you're signing up to if, if you do docs. And also, there's no um, consequence. So it's like, hang on a minute. What, like, let's look at this equation here. Um, a really fucking stressful environment, and the doxing, and the legal risk, and the ongoing harassment that has happened even before the passing of something. <laughs> like, what's the upside? Are you really gonna keep? Um, truly smart people here with that kind of stuff? No, probably not. And also, like the idea of crypto, right? The idea of crypto is, is that people are anonymous and, and non-KYC'd, and you have proof of work on chain, maybe in your contributions to doing development work and coding, um, maybe um, in your contributions like stuff like we've done, like burning lunk or whatever else. Um, all of those transactions and the money spent on it and everything like that is, is on chain, it's viewable. Um, there are there are clear transactions, and then when you create something like a DAO or a multisig or whatever, you should ideally have it be diversified at the start and and determined by governance and and whatever that is built in with processes to eliminate bad actors. Um, like it, it's I don't know, it's just the idea of crypto itself. People are just like blindly applying stuff from traditional finance or or the the normal financial world when there are no um, <laughs> there are like no legal actions possible here anyway. And they don't understand any of the downsides. It's just, I don't know, it's madness. Yeah, this is the principle behind the project DAODAO, D-A-O-D-A-O. It's on the Juno blockchain. And they're making it possible for you to spin up a DAO pretty much just by pushing a few buttons. You say, okay, like, I want to create Lunk DAO. You type it in the title. You put a little nice little, you know, icon graphic or something. Uh, you put in different things like... Um, they're, they're going to have different elements like sub DAOs, um, like a multi-sig, um, you know, different wallets you can enter. And it creates all of these sort of um, pieces of that so that like governance is much more straightforward. But like on-chain governance right now, right now is really, really rudimentary. Um, mm -hmm. And it was sort of like the, it's sort of how the initial uh, sort of Cosmos governance shit was sort of designed um, is to just sort of run the blockchain. But as far as like doing anything complicated, um, you know, these little proposal things are not particularly like that. Um, uh, they're, they're, they don't incorporate things like um, the formation of committees and voting on a committee. Like, for example, like if you had a proposal where the five people on the committee and maybe their, I don't know, whatever resume and then maybe their wallets or something like that, that they want to supply for getting paid, things like that. If that was all happening and it was all visible on the proposal, you could hit yes or no. And then if it goes yes, then money just flows where it's supposed to, when it's supposed to. But that's not how um, the systems work now, right? You have to have an actual team and they have to have like a multi-sig and none of it's like automated in any way. So all sorts of activities that have to happen behind the scenes, like with, I don't know, Terra Rebels or Terraform Labs or whoever the hell, most of that you're not going to have like recorded and, and in a history somewhere. Like stuff's just going to happen, right? So I don't know. The, the systems are not automated in a way that I think um, it makes sense. That's why I was saying like <clears throat> one of the ways to solve this is you create <laughs> like a series of consumer chains, right? And these chains have every possible permutation of fucking tokenomics you can imagine. So there's literally something for everybody. So if you like a 10% yield with uh, maybe a fixed supply, you know, that uh, with a thirdnings or something like osmosis has well sure then you have that or like 
you have an infinite supply token like Atom, which like this has high inflation. Okay, you've got that. Um, so yeah, you create all the different types of primitives. Every I mean, every rational permutation you can, and then on top of that, introduce some chaos and randomness involved. And I think that pretty much would like solve the problem. And if you just simply want like a piece of this thing, you could maybe buy an ETF token that contains the value of all the tokens or something. So you get like a, an average of the different types or maybe, um, so yeah, you, so once you've created all these, right, there's nothing left to vote on because like what's there left to do, right? You literally have every permutation. So therefore, um, you know, you can, you can buy the coin that fits your whatever personality or time horizon, investing thesis, volatility mm. risk, all that shit. You just pick the right coin and they're all right there, like in a nice little menu for you. So it seems kind of weird, but like, I think that would work. Um, and then there's no governance garbage in between. You just leave, let them run. That's it. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was part one of a two-part Chepe Space, One Chain to Rule Them All, the Gridbot Masterclass. Uh, they, they named these things so many different things. Those were the two I caught, recorded on Monday, November 7th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep listening, head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support. They say rapping is the gateway, bringing home great pay, checking that replay, sing along and we say nobody gives a fuck around my way. I make about three bucks for every thousand plays, so add it up and do the math on that. Financially speaking, why the fuck would anybody want to rap? But in this reality, the money comes from doing shows, but then where's the money go when you can't do the shows? I guess you could rap on Cameo. I've been asking all my friends if I can rap on the patio. Six feet, motherfucker, step the fuck back. Doing a little magic, pulling rabbits out the rucksack. Not everybody's always in it for the money. Looking like another crooked Sunday, and I'm working Monday. So you know I ain't stressing, left debating great methods. Amazed to play Inception, the base state blessed. See, even with these huge sums of overall royalties, huge sums of money that go to the record label per playback can seem insultingly small. Many rights holders are making around three quarters of a cent. For the actual they artists, say they're making they even say they're pennies, making pennies per play. Until they can figure out how to turn a profit, their future will always be in question. But for now, investors see enough potential to continue to fund pennies, 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 pennies per play. Another day, another lesson. Living in the eighth dimension might be worth a little mention. Living in the Great Depression, got a real regal feel. Reeling in another sucker fish out to make a deal just to make a motherfucker wish. Aw shit, now you only got two left. You know what I wish? We didn't have any loose ends. You know what I miss? Listening to excuses Now we're on the fence Like we forgot how to choose That's what happens When people don't know what's true In the dark eating bullshit up like a mushroom In the lunchroom Just trying to laugh it off Meanwhile foaming at the mouth Like a rabid dog Like a fake mating call at the zoo It's looking like the view is getting disappointed too I'm working on the new shit Trying to produce it It's what I'm willing to go through When I'm making my music